Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps and Peepers. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. I know we had a lot of announcements last week, and we do have a few this week. Oopsie. Sorry, not sorry. We have a lot happening here on Scared to Death we're excited about. Patreon launch today, Whoop. new merch, and announcing our first live event. Take it away, Lindsay. Is that the appropriate reaction? That's the appropriate reaction. I don't want to scream in everyone's ear. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is so exciting. I have all the feels about this. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe it, but we are going to do one live scared to death. Uh, and, you know, we're just seeing this as a little experiment, mm-hmm. you know, hoping that it goes well. And if so, I mean, no promises, no guarantees, but, like, theoretically, we could try and do a few more next year when life is quite possibly maybe a wee bit more normal. So, yeah, we'll see. TBD, yeah. but hopeful. Hopeful. So mm-hmm. um, here's a few quick details. Tickets are live right now as this episode begins. So you might want to hit pause and go buy your tickets because they are <laughs> limited and I bet they're going to go fast. The show is Friday, October 23rd, the Friday, the week before Halloween at the Honey Social Club here in downtown Coeur d'Alene. And there are a limited number of tickets, like pretty limited. So mm-hmm. make sure you get over there. Doors are at 7, show is at 8.30. And all of the details, all the information can be found at badmagicmerch.com. Just look for the little ticket link and it will explain all the deets. Mm-hmm. And I heard that the uh, this place was haunted. Very very, very haunted. So that is, is exciting. Photographic evidence has been sent to me. And <laughs> I was there scouting it the other day with uh, the rest of our staff. And it was significantly colder downstairs than it was anywhere else. And not just because it's downstairs. Like sure. it was chill inducing. Sweet. So check it out. And while you're at badmagicmerch.com, uh, you can also check out our new super cool uh, Satan Scarab tea in the store. And I had to ask Dan what a scarab was. Yeah, it's like a little beetle uh, often shows up in occult imagery. Gross. And then uh, Patreon is here. So ad-free episode catalog, merch discount, bonus content, all kinds of stuff. Go to patreon.com slash scared to death podcast to learn more. Link to our new Patreon account is in the episode description. And the link is also at scared to death podcast.com on the website. 
I might cry. I'm so excited. So much. So, much. so uh, now let's get to stories. Lindsay, I have two for stories for you today, and I hear you have two for me. I have two for you and pretty um, pretty solid, pretty like really meaty stories. Good, good. I was going to say they're girthy, but that's not right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds sexual. <laughs> I have a... Uh, I have Your a sh- show is STD. I mean, come on, Dan. <laughs> a girthy tail and STD. I have uh, a shorter tail, and I have a girthier tail as well. <laughs> as you know... Uh, no, sorry, I tried to twist that in a ridiculous dad joke way. It's so uncomfortable. Uh, um, starting off with a little bit of Louisiana folklore with some tales of the Kushamar. I don't want to give away okay. Kushamar. I don't want to give any more uh, than that away about this entity for now. Okay, we'll get right into it. Sure. And then we head to Georgia, and I will share tales of the first haunted body of water we've talked about so far here, uh, Lake Lanier. Oh, so we're in the South all day long. Yeah, and 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 close uh, locations in the South. Yeah. Yep, uh, Louisiana and Georgia. So decent amount of setup with my first story. Let me know when you're ready to head down south. Well, I just want to talk about my super duper cute socks. I don't know if you can see them around the hand. They're llamas. I wore them because um, this week is half of the Keith's birthdays, and she loves a llama. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, our, uh, our daughter Monroe also loves llamas. She does. In modern French, the word cauchemar means nightmare. An unpleasant dream that fades away after you wake up. A dream that is nothing more than just a dream. But for some of the Cajun people of southern Louisiana, the Kushamar is much more than a nightmare. A centuries-old phenomenon, the Kushamar refers to the experience of being visited in one's sleep by a specific demonic spiritual presence. Something between a witch and a devil, being visited by the Kushamar, also referred to by the strange old term of witch riding. For this entity, after waking you up with its presence, climbs on top of you in a way as if it were riding you, controlling you, taking you over. Sounds awful. The Kushamar silently controls you with its thoughts while you lie beneath it, in a state somewhere between sleep and wakefulness, unable to make a sound. Many of those living in Louisiana today can remember their grandparents warning them that if they slept on their backs or didn't say their prayers, the Kushamar might visit them. Okay. And while, of course, many believe that the Kushamar is nothing more than superstition created by a misunderstanding of sleep paralysis, the phenomenon of being paralyzed during REM sleep, others swear that they've not just been visited by Kushimars, but actually ridden, actually hurt, with marks of the attack left on their body. Hmm. The first person to collect Cajun Kushimar stories was a professor of English literature at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, Patricia Rickles. In the 1960s, Professor, professor Rickles became interested in Kushimar stories when she was lecturing on the writings of Cotton Mather, the prominent late 17th and early 18th uh, century Puritan Massachusetts minister. Mather wrote about a woman in his colony, Bridget Bishop, who was accused of entering a man's room late at night, mounting him, and then riding him while he lay paralyzed in his bed. Well, my first thought was, sounds like, as long as it was consensual, of course, a pretty good night. And when you say riding, do you mean having intercourse? No. Okay. No, it's not a uh, not a succubus. Okay, thank you. Uh, one of, but one of uh, Professor Rickles' students had a very different reaction than I did to hearing this. When Rickles looked up, one of her students looked oddly frightened, as though there were something terrifying happening in the classroom at that very moment, even though it was the middle of a sunny day and nothing seemed to be amiss. Mm-hmm. Rickles asked her student, who was looking side to side nervously, what he thought of the Cotton Mather reading. And in a stammering voice, the student replied, why that sounds like a Kushimar. Rickles started asking some of her students with Cajun ancestry what they knew about Kushimars, and many of them would fall silent, look nervous, maybe even rub the back of their necks anxiously before asking something to the effect of, why, did something happen to you? Mm. Some entirely refused to speak of it, and some, of course, had stories to tell. Sure. 
Time now for the tale of Louisiana's Cajun Cushamar. One young man told Professor Rickles about an elderly neighbor who'd long claimed to have been the victim of Cushamar attacks for years. The old man lived with his wife for decades, and when his partner sadly died, he approached his young neighbor, Rickles' student, and he made a strange request. He asked the then 18-year-old man if he'd be willing to sleep somewhere in his house that night. When the boy accused, or when the boy, of course, excuse me, asked why the elderly man, who seemed both embarrassed and genuinely scared, mm-hmm. muttered, she comes at night, Ugh. pulling on my toes. Sometimes she jumps on me and holds me down. My wife, she could hear me scream. She'd come running and touch me. They say when you touch a person, the spirit leaves. If the spirit is with you too long, you can die. He looked at the boy with tears in his tired and milky eyes and said, that's why I need you. They got her away from me. They're coming for me next. Dang. The boy didn't tell Rickles what happened next, but she did, and she didn't ask. But based on how upset the man uh, who was speaking seemed, she assumed that he had, of course, not slept over and that the man had died. Oh. Another person, a 19-year-old woman from St. Martinsville, a town just a few miles southwest of Lafayette, told Rickles, well, people like my grandmother used to always say, if you don't say your prayers, the Kushamar are going to get you like everybody else says. But I never really believed it. I was like, oh, yeah, right. You know, that's superstition. But one day, me and my mama was fussing and I went to bed mad. And when I was laying in bed angry with her, I realized I can't move. I tried to holler, but I couldn't holler. I tried to holler with all my might. And eventually I got to my mama's room and said, you didn't hear me hollering. She said she didn't. But the thing about the Kushamar, it gets you over and over again. It just doesn't go away. What my mama said for me to do was put some stones or some beans under my bed, under my mattress, put them in a circle for protection. He only comes at night. And uh, she said, the Kushamar is going to see those stones under my bed and he's going to keep counting in a circle. And he's so dumb, he won't know how to stop. And that by the time he finished keep counting, it's going to be daytime. Some people don't think you can get rid of the Kushamar that easily. An older woman who described herself as French-American sought Rickles out after she heard the professor was studying Kushimars, and in Rickles' office, the woman told her about her experience with the entity. She said she was sleeping on the couch in the living room one night, woke up to the sound of the screen door opening and shutting, which was odd, which frightened her because she didn't live with anyone. (sighs) She was afraid, wondering if someone were breaking into her house. Then when she tried to get up, she found that she could not. As she lay on the couch, immobile immobile and helpless, She heard footsteps across the wooden floor. Tap, tap, tap. Then the door to the living room swung open. The woman couldn't turn her head to look, but she knew that someone was standing there, someone who wanted to hurt her. The next thing she remembered, she was awake and it was morning. But when she looked down at herself, she was naked (gasps) and there were crisscross marks all across her body as if she'd been hit by someone. She also felt exhausted. Her legs hurt. Why had she taken her clothes off? Did she take her clothes off? What had the Kushimar done to her? At least as recently as 2019, people have taken to the internet to write about their experiences with Kushimars. The following is the claim of an anonymous author. This is my experience with the Kushimar. I know people will say that I just had sleep paralysis, that I should talk to a doctor or a psychiatrist. And believe me, I have. I've tried everything, and yet it won't stop visiting me. It began when I was a child. I think the entity that was visiting me was also young, or maybe it was just small. I awoke one night, about an hour after being put to bed by my parents, to see a small hand coming out from under my bed. Oh my god. A small figure followed. I first saw its head, then its neck, 
then its entire body slowly emerged from underneath the bed. It was human-shaped, but not human. It didn't have eyes, or a nose, or even a mouth that I could see, but it could speak. I heard it whisper something, and then while I was lying motionless on the bed, it began to pound against the side of the bed. Bam! 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 I could only lie there as it pounded, moaning faintly. My parents must have heard me moaning because, and I'm not sure how long it was later, they ran into the room and flipped on the lights. Just as they got there, I watched the thing slither away, retreating back beneath my bed. Ugh. That night was absolutely terrible, but it was nothing compared to what would happen on other nights later. As I grew older, it seemed like the thing was no longer satisfied with simply just looking at me or scaring me. When I'd see it come out from under my bed or appear in the corner of my room, I would feel this strange sensation on my chest, as if it were pulling something inside of me. It felt like it was trying to, I don't know, possess me or something. One night when it came from me, I was laying on my side and I could feel my body being pulled off of the bed. I tried to resist and eventually managed to flip myself over, no longer facing it. Even though I was only 12 and didn't really think about my own mortality very often at that time or at all really, I remember thinking that night that if I didn't fight as hard as I could, I was going to die. After the feeling of this attempted possession faded, a thought occurred to me in a voice that was nothing like mine. I thought, the devil is after me. Then I passed out, coming to in the morning. It kept coming back long after that night. When I got a bit older, I started to wake up in the middle of the night fairly often with the feeling of something being on top of me. I've always slept best on my stomach, and it felt like this thing would climb onto my back and then push my head down into the pillow trying to smother me. Ugh. I was powerless to do anything to stop it. When this happened, I would fight and break free only to slip back into the feeling of being pushed into the pillow a moment later. I would think to myself, if only I could hold my eyes open, I would be able to wake up. And then I realized that my eyes were open and that I wasn't having a dream. Oh boy. I would feel so scared. I would wonder, when was this thing going to finally suffocate me? When would my parents find my body dead in my bed? Sometimes I'd wake up with bruises all over my back, legs, arms, all over my body. I finally convinced my parents when I was 15 or 16 to take what I was telling them seriously and they took me to a doctor and then to another doctor and then to this specialist and that one. None of them were able to help me. I visited a priest. We had him come out and cleanse our house, cleanse my room. Still, the Kushimar returned. Finally, an old woman in my neighborhood told me the first thing that seemed to help. She lived down the street from us, and one day she saw the dark circles under my eyes, the bruises on my arms, and she said, Don't tell anyone specifics. The more you talk about them, the more likely they are to keep coming for you. Interesting. I took her advice. After writing my story down, I'm never going to talk about it again. And if you're reading this, I'm sorry. I just had to tell someone. Try to forget everything I've told you. The more you talk about this, if you dare begin to talk about this, the Kushimar might come for you. It's going to come for you since you told the story. Or you because you listened to it. No, it said if you talk about it. That's, that's you a talk good point. about it. And I, I feel something under our bed anyway, so. What if me and the Kushimar got along great? What if I was like the first person? That's rude. How's it rude? No, because just, you're not including me. Can I get along with the Kushimar? No, what if me and the Kushimar have the best of times? What are you guys going like, to do? I Torture people? I don't know. Mainly torture me. Maybe. Probably to start. Well, you, the kids, the I'm, dogs. I am going to make a circle of crystals underneath our bed. What if you got up and you saw me in the living room and then I was clapping my hands and then a little Kushamar was riding Penny or Gigi around? <laughs> <laughs> I do often think about that when I'm in bed and I think I see something or I think I hear something. Our dogs bark at 
the wind. I mean, they just bark at anything. Yeah, and dogs are not good a lot of times to make you to make you feel better when you're scared. But our dogs don't yeah. like in the middle of the night when I'm feeling anxious or whatever, mm-hmm. and I roll over. Like the other night, Penny was spoon. You were spooning Penny, and Penny was facing me because that's uh-huh. our life. And I was feeling a little anxious and I was holding Penny's little paw, just like rubbing it. And then I opened my, I thought I felt something and I went like this. And so Penny popped her head up and she looked and she just put her head back down. And she's like, nah, she's like, calm down, mom. Exactly. <laughs> uh, now this is uh, a really creepy, cool sculpture Okay. Um, about the Kushamar. This is called the Kushamar, Le Kushamar or The Nightmare, created in 1894 by French sculptor Eugene uh, Thibier. So I think it's a really cool. Here's a different it's, shot of this sculpture. It is really cool, and it makes me wish that I could sculpt anything. I know, isn't that amazing? 1894, it is. like amazing detail. Uh, I tried to make a pot once, like in pottery, and yeah, terrible. I made some ashtrays, I think. Nice. Uh, here's a French illustration of Le Couchemar. So just interesting little depictions there. I mean, if I woke up to that, oh my god, that's it. It's that's over it. for me. Yeah, no, and absolutely, you. and me too. Absolutely. Uh, so those are pictures, of course, will be at the uh, on our socials, Instagram and Facebook. Scared of this podcast if you want to check them out if you're just listening and not watching. Yeek. Uh, I had never heard of the Kushamar. Me neither. Yeah. That's, that's pretty Th- cool. This, this was a, a Sophie Evans find. Oh. Our, our Louisiana researcher who lives in New Orleans. Yes. Right now. Right now. Right. With everything being shut down. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was really interesting. I, I don't know why it made me laugh, but the idea of it just like walking in a circle over and over counting beans. <laughs> right, I thought that was funny, like the funny folklore advice. Yeah. Like you can trick it by just, like it'll just do that forever. Yeah, like a Kushmar is just stupid. Mm-hmm. It's just, and that, that actually kind of made me feel good. I'm like, okay, it's dumb. You can <laughs> trick it. You can get away from it. You just, you know, I think a circle of crystals would do the same as a circle of beans. Probably. Just have it count, keep counting around and around and around. Do you think that the circle has to like encompass the entire underneath of our bed to count for both of us? Or if I just put one circle. Mm-hmm. like just put it under your bed, under your side. Well... I mean, I already have stuff on your side, so I guess, yeah, I could uh, do a circle on mine. Okay. You've been sleeping well, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have, I have bad dreams where I'm drowning in a pit of quartz. What's that mean? Honestly? I'm, like I'm walking across a, the grass, and mm-hmm. I'm fine, and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I like this. I like grass. The ground yeah. is good. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I step on all these like crystals, and I start sinking. I'm like, I don't care for this. Oh. What's that dream mean? Yeah, it just means that your insides are really, really dark. <laughs> And the crystals are trying to pull you into them to, oh. to cleanse you and balance you. The grass was never there. It was just a figment of your imagination. Hmm. And you've fallen through. But, but the option is that like either you could fall into like quicksand and mm-hmm. be consumed and not make it out. Or, you know, be consumed by crystals and come out pure and clean and positive and light. Wow. Okay. All right. It's a good interpretation of that. Thank you. Do you think I could be a cult le- leader? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was so a, shiny today. An, inter- an interesting little monster, uh, the Kushimar. Yeah, I, I, it freaked me out. Also, just because I was just thinking about this, when I have a nightmare, I just think I'm having a nightmare. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel like ooh, because I've been having the same nightmare literally my entire life. Yeah, it's an interesting like uh, recurring nightmare kind of like twist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we will not be traveling very far from Louisiana for our next story. Are you ready to head to Georgia? Yeah, let's take a little drive. Before we travel a bit north, we need to take a quick in-between story sponsor break. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? A candle? Some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's (laughs) best. 
So lame. This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Scared to Death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Scared to Death. Who doesn't love a little special something? A gourmet cupcake from your favorite bakery or a lovely bottle of wine? Do you ever splurge on a massage or an expensive meal? If you treat yourself to the best of the best when it comes to the things you enjoy, why would you settle for less when it comes to your health? Your health should be a top priority. I mean, you have one body to get you through this entire life. Why not treat that body to the best? ZocDoc is the place you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. Don't settle for anything but the best because you deserve the best. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. I've been battling some insane heartburn lately. I tried all the -the over-the-counter things, cut out spicy food, alcohol, but I just can't seem to get any relief. After speaking with my family doctor, he suggested I see a gastroenterologist. Knowing I could find an amazing doctor within seconds on ZocDoc, I went to their website, entered my zip code and insurance information, and began to scroll the reviews of all the available doctors in my area that could help me find a solution to my problem. And I did it all in just a few clicks. So easy. Go to ZocDoc.com scared and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find a book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C doc.com slash scared zocdoc.com slash scared thanks for listening creeps and peepers let's talk about lake lanier now uh ever heard of thalassophobia i had not say it again thalassophobia i can't believe that you can say that thalassophobia thalassophobia Thalassophobia. Thala- no, what yeah. does that mean? Uh, someone with thalassophobia experiences an intense and persistent fear of bodies of water that appear oh. vast, dark, deep, and or dangerous. What What is it when you're afraid to not be able to see like the horizon? I'm not a phobia expert. I have no idea. Huh. <laughs> 
I'll think of it. Uh, even even if you enjoy swimming in the ocean or in a river or lake, uh, does a part of you still look down into the dark water, feel a little apprehensive, a little unsure of just exactly what could be lurking out beyond the edge of your sight? No, I just don't look down there because I'm terrified. Right, so you do feel that. Yeah, I have, feel it, but I don't look for it. You ever felt something brush against your foot or leg uh, and thought just for a moment? Yes. Was that a hand? Yes. Fingers? Could there be something or someone down there oh, God, about stop. to pull me down into the depths? Whew. Many of the residents of an area of northern Georgia could be considered thalassophobes because they seem to believe that various dark forces are at play in the waters of Lake Lanier and the land around it. They think the lake and the area around it literally cursed. Sprawled out among the foothills of the North Georgia mountains for 26 miles, Lake Sydney Lanier, commonly known as Lake Lanier, is a man-made reservoir, the largest body of water in Georgia that traces its roots back to 1948 when the U.S. government purchased a 100-acre farm from a ferry operator by the name of Henry Shadburn. The planned reservoir would provide the city of Atlanta with hydroelectricity, flood control, and a nice large clean supply of drinking water. Recreation, what the lake is now mainly known for, was at the time an afterthought. In 1950, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers broke ground and construction began on the Buford Dam on the Chattahoochee River, which was completed in 1956. Then they began to flood the foothills, which uh, was terribly unfortunate for the many people still living on those foothills. As the government slowly flooded the lake, raising the water level higher and higher over a period of roughly five years, they brought up more and more, or they bought up more and more nearby land, more than 50,000 acres in total, which would ultimately displace more than 250 families, 15 businesses, and they had to relocate 20 different cemeteries full of hundreds of corpses. That's so weird. Several generations of the area's dead would have what was supposed to be their final resting place disturbed and displaced. As the nooks and crannies of the mountain foothills filled with surging water, the lake devoured entire communities along with their buildings and houses, farmland, fields, bridges, toll gates, historical landmarks, river ferry businesses, country roads, forts, other lakes, even a racetrack called Loper Speedway. Looper Speedway, excuse me. Many of the structures that would be inundated with water were simply left as is. And today, deep beneath the tranquil surface of the lake, one can find submerged towns complete with roads, walls, houses, all still eerily intact. That's crazy. Do the ghosts of those old homes, do the spirits of those old graveyards now haunt the lake? Time now for the tale of the deaths and wraiths of Lake Lanier. A number of boats have hit something in the lake's water, only to find nothing there when they circle back to look or when the rescue boat comes to assist them. There are other tales of boats suddenly capsizing for no apparent reason. For danger of dangerous rogue waves that seem to come from nowhere and without warning, terrorizing both boats and people on the shoreline. Since it was created, nearly 700 people have died tragically in the lake, and many of their bodies have never been found. It's strange that there have been so many deaths in what appears during most of the warm and sunny days that people boat and swim on it and in it to be such a tranquil, calm, and peaceful body of water. But year after year, far too many people are lost to its depths. According to one witness, he and a friend were sitting on a pool uh, on pool noodles in the water, having a regular conversation when he decided to leave. His friend wanted to dive down one last time before getting out. He dove cleanly into the lake and then just never resurfaced. At least not when he was still alive. Ugh. Took dive crew six hours to find his body, and when they did, his corpse was just laying at the bottom of the lake, not tangled in anything. That's weird. They speculated that he must have become disoriented and then swam in the wrong direction until he ran out of oxygen. Is that really what happened? Did the water disorient him or did something else? And for all of those who have drowned on the lake, 
Many more have almost drowned, and a good deal of them seem to describe their near-drowning experiences with eerie similarity. They say that while they were just swimming, not strenuously, just casually enjoying themselves, they suddenly began to feel extremely tired. A deep, almost paralyzing, unnatural type of fatigue. Then they felt something began to pull them down, Ugh. or something that seemed to be trying to hold them in place. Some have even described being pulled down by what felt like cold human hands. And this isn't where the strangeness stops. Several mysterious deaths attributed to Lake Lanier have nothing to do with drowning, such as what happened to Kelly Nash. In 2015, Nash went missing from his home in the lakeside town of Buford, Georgia. Early on the morning of January 5th, Nash woke up feeling sick. He was coughing and sneezing, told his girlfriend Jessica that he felt terrible and should probably see a doctor before going back to bed. Jessica went back to bed as well. When she woke, several hours later, Nash was gone and had not taken his wallet, car keys, or ID with him. The police were called, and it was discovered that a 9mm pistol was missing from the house, <gasps> but none of Nash's other belongings were missing or out of place. Oh, no. Authorities launched a massive search that involved the help of close friends and families as well as search dogs. No trace of Nash emerged for over a month. Finally, on February 8th, Nash's badly decomposed body was found in Lake Lanier by a local fisherman. He was still wearing the pajama pants and the dark shirt he'd had on when he went missing, and the only trauma his body revealed was a single gunshot wound to the head. Nash had no known prior history of suicidal thoughts or of struggling with mental illness of any kind, and his mysterious disappearance and death continued to trouble authorities and Nash's family to this day. In addition to troubling deaths, the lake is also home to troubling creatures. Local fishermen have reported and caught monstrous fish in the area for decades. These fish, five to seven feet long catfish, Ew. have supposedly swallowed dogs that wander too far into the water. What? They've attacked swimmers. These things are huge and they're very real. They've attacked swimmers and divers. The biggest of these fish lurk deep in the waters below Buford Dam. I will show pictures later and I did further research. Just I know you're very real. Uh, some divers who have gone in to repair parts of the dam uh, have come out refusing to ever go in again. They were so terrified by these real-life lake monsters. According to locals, in the 1980s, a truck carrying live chickens hurtled off the Thompson Bridge, sank to the bottom of the reservoir. Divers were sent in to recover the wreckage, and to their horror, saw catfish, quote, the size of 12-year-old boys, gathered around the truck, swallowing drowned chickens whole. Uh. If giant fish don't scare you, maybe a spectral boat will. There have been several reports of a mysterious raft that floats around the reservoir at night, lit by a sputtering lantern that illuminates a shadowy figure pushing the raft along with a pole. One cold autumn early morning, just before the sun had begun to rise, two locals were fishing on the reservoir in a rowboat when they saw this strange raft about a half mile away. The men knew the water was at least 45 feet deep where the raft was, yet the figure kept pushing the raft along with his pole. It made no sense. They watched the strange figure with growing trepidation, not daring to make a sound, and then suddenly the figure turned towards them, clearly looking in their direction, then shouted something too vague to hear, and then jumped into the water and began swimming towards them. Oh my god, run! The two fishermen quickly pulled in their line, started preparing to row away. Just as they got their fishing poles inside their boat, the lantern and the ghost raft went out. When the fishermen shone their boat's spotlight across the water, they could now find no sign of the raft or of the mysterious occupant who had jumped into the water. The black surface of the lake remained calm, but they knew that something was still out there. So they maxed out the throttle, sped back to the dock, never returned to that part of the lake again. <sighs> Another spirit spotted by numerous lakegoers, believed to be the ghost of a woman who died just over six decades ago. In April of 1958, a young woman named Delia Parker Young 
who worked at the nearby Riverside Military Academy and her friend Susie Roberts, headed off to Three Gables, a no longer in existence nightclub that was in the nearby town of Dawsonville in Susie's 1954 Ford for a fun night of drinks and dancing. The girls left home but never arrived to Dawsonville, and they didn't return home that night either. When investigators later retraced their steps, they found that they'd stopped at a gas station and that they'd curiously left quickly without paying. Why were they in such a hurry? Seems odd that two local girls would try and steal gas from the local gas station. Were they trying to get away from someone? Investigators followed the path the car would have taken from the gas station to Dawsonville and found some marks on the road seeming to indicate that the car had skidded off the Lanier Bridge and into the lake below. But when they searched the bottom of the lake, they couldn't find it. Divers were brought in to search for the car when unable to locate it due to poor visibility in the murky water due to the masses of sheared off tree trunks that littered and still litter the lake's bottom. For a full 18 months, police were unable to find any further clues, no trace of the missing women or their car. Then almost two years after the girls disappeared, a fisherman named C.A. Simpson made a gruesome discovery when the decomposed and mutilated corpse of Delia Parker Young suddenly floated to the surface. Ugh. Oddly, the corpse, which could not be completely positively identified at the time, was missing two toes from the left foot and, much more upsetting, completely missing both hands. It was never made clear what had happened to the body to cause such strange and specific wounds. The cause of death also never determined or at least never revealed by authorities. Since investigators weren't initially positive the body belonged to Delia, it was also buried in an unmarked grave in the Alta Vista Cemetery in Gainesville. How sad. The body of Susie Roberts and the car remained missing despite repeated searches, leaving everyone to wonder what happened that night in 1958. Then over 30 years after the girls went missing, in November of 1990, an expansion began on Lanier Bridge. Oh my gosh. Construction crews dredged the bottom of the lake, found the old rusted out shell of that 1954 Ford. The car had been submerged in a nest of tree trunks, mud, and other debris under roughly 90 feet of water. Wow. When they opened the car, they found the remains of Susie Roberts. No way. Her corpse was decomposed to the point of being unidentifiable, but the belongings found on and around it, including a purse rings and watch were enough to be able to conclusively prove that the body was Susie's. Ugh. And although the uh, both of the girls' bodies have now been recovered and identified, their story doesn't seem to be over. At least Elias doesn't. Some have claimed to have seen a ghostly young woman in a blue dress wandering up and down the length of the Lanier Bridge, thought to be the ghost of Delia Parker Young, wearing blue on the night of her fatal accident. And this ghost has also been sighted in other locations around the lake. It's said that if you get close to the figure... You'll notice immediately that she's missing her hands. A man who posted a story under the name of Antoine Brown claims to have had a terrifying encounter with his spirit. In 2018, he and some friends had rented an Airbnb near the Sunrise Cove Marina off of Flat Creek Cove for a um, uh, for a long three-day weekend. Excuse me. Uh, and late one night. Walking back up to the dock after sneaking down to the boat to grab some beers, Antoine saw a woman walking down towards the dock, down towards him from the road. Mm -hmm. Right away, red flags were raised in his mind. Something didn't feel right about this woman. There didn't appear to be anyone else around. The night was so quiet, but still, he couldn't hear her at all. He could see her walking, but she didn't seem to be making any sound. As he walked towards her, keeping his gaze upon her, he grew more and more unnerved by just how damn quiet she was. His mind had trouble processing it. Then, when she made it to the end of the dock, only about 30 yards away now, when she made it to a narrow wooden path that led from the road to the dock, he saw that she had 
no hands. Ugh. And she got as she got a little bit closer, he saw that she was missing a part of one of her bare feet, missing an eye, and, well, her whole body looked like it was rotting. For just a moment, he thought she must be wearing some sort of costume, but who does that? Who heads to the dock at one in the morning alone in July, dressed like some kind of zombie or something? Right. A zombie that doesn't make a sound. This moment quickly passed, and while he still didn't know what he was looking at, he knew it was not just some woman in a costume, and he knew that she might be dangerous. By the time she made it within about 10 yards of him, he dropped the beer he was holding, turned, and began to run back towards the boat. Before jumping into it, Antoine turned to look, to look back around at the woman. He tripped, stumbled, <sighs> fell right into the black night water of the lake. Oh, no! Falling under the surface of the water, he twisted his body around, flailing, trying to kick back up towards the surface. Then he panicked. His leg was caught on something. He couldn't get back out of the water. Then the fear grew. He realized he was not caught. Something had grabbed him. Something was holding onto his leg. Oh, my God. Then there she was, the woman from the dock in the blue dress, now underwater with him, her face only inches from his. No! He screamed, promptly took a dangerous amount of water into his lungs. He thrashed around against whatever was holding holding him desperately trying to kick himself free. The woman in the blue dress smiled and then he heard what he knew was her voice inside his head. Stay, stay. Oh my God. He still couldn't break free. Now his lungs full of water, his vision began to dim. He was sure he was going to drown. He was going to die. He would be staying with whatever this thing was in the lake. And then the next thing he remembers, his friend Chris is kneeling above him saying, he's breathing. Oh my God. His friend Curtis is saying, thank, thank God. He's laying face up on the dock, soaked, coughing up water. A few minutes later, once his breathing returns to normal, he's somewhat calm. Chris tells him that he and Curtis decided to come down and see if he wanted to drink those beers in the boat instead of bringing them back to the house. Then they saw some beer bottles laying around on the dock. Then Chris could see Antoine thrashing just under the surface of the water. He was starting to sink below the surface, and then he and Curtis grabbed him, pulled him out. Chris started CPR when Antoine's eyes opened, and he spit out a lungful of water. After Antoine had heard all of this, he asked, did you see her? Chris, looking confused after sharing a concerned glance with Curtis, asked, see who? And Antoine thought as he glanced around looking for the woman in blue, the woman with no hands, the woman who wanted him to stay with her in the water, what am I supposed to tell them? Ay, 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 That would be terrifying. That's a new type of terror, being held underwater by something. Oh, I'm having so many terrible thoughts. Yeah. I just, like, I was thinking about how we, you know, we live by a lake. Mm -hmm. We live by two lakes, actually. Mm -hmm. And we frequent both of them. And now I feel very uncomfortable because I know that people have died in both of those lakes. <laughs> I mean, that would be the worst. If you're swimming and then like, oh, my God. Uh, this first photo. It's it, another thing to cross off our list. <laughs> we have to stay in the boat. No more stand-up paddle boarding. Uh, too easy to fall in. No tubing. No jumping off boats into lakes. <laughs> Holy crap. I like, oh, I like, wow. Yeah, that's it's really so pretty. pretty. I like it, by the way, this remind, that, that what you just said reminded me of like sometimes listeners will write and be like, oh my God, is she just, does she not going to do anything the rest of her life? Yeah. I just, I do want people to know she gets real scared here <laughs> and then it fades. It fades. It fades. It it fades. fades. But think about it. I mean, I in this moment, it's terrifying. It, it, this story got me because this was one, of, I guess I must be a thalassophobe on some level or was when I was a kid. Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll explain why in a second, actually. One of the pictures will link to exactly why I had that fear. Okay. Okay. So this is beautiful. It's a beautiful lake. This next fish is so pretty. All those little like inlets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a gorgeous reservoir. Gorgeous. Wow. Uh, it's a popular um, like weekend getaway for people who live in, in, in Atlanta. Okay. 
Uh, for the rich folk? For the... I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm sure. It's I'm like, sure. oh, you have a lake house? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure just like anywhere there's like the second generation, like where their parents got it cheap years ago. Mm-hmm. And they get to have like the smaller homes. And I'm sure there's the huge mansions around that are, you know, millionaires. I mean, if anyone wants to adopt homes. me, <laughs> I'm available. This next photo is uh, a catfish. Holy shit! <laughs> I know, right? What? That's not what catfish look like. That's not what normal catfish look like. What um, in the world is that? And that I, is not a catfish. <laughs> I, I thought it was photoshopped, and I did more research. What? And there are photoshopped pictures. And I don't have absolute proof that this one's not photoshopped. But I looked and went to like not just like random people's Flickr accounts photos, right? But like did research. Oh yeah, in various parts of the world, there is such a thing as giant catfish, and they do get hundreds of pounds in size. And over six feet long. They're monster fish. Okay, where? Where? Well, we can discuss this later. But wherever they are, (laughs) that is officially done. Like, if you told me that was swimming in the bottom of Lake Coeur d'Alene, I would lose my freaking mind. And I can't remember what it's called right now off the top of my head, but there's people who, like, um, you know, they do night catfishing, and they wade into the water where these big-ass catfish are. Stop it. And get them with their hands. They catch them. They do not. Yes, yes they do. Noodling. Noodling. Thank you, Joe. Get out of here, Joe Paisley. That's a real thing. No, it's It's not. It is. It is not. It is. Who would want to do that? Fish are slimy. That thing will eat you. No, it won't eat, like, a grown man. Well, it eats But I mean, but they, but they are dangerous. It could theoretically, you know, like um, cause you to like slip and maybe pull you under a little bit and it could drown. You know, ah, you could drown. That is so creepy. <laughs> this next one, this is a, some artist, and I did, couldn't find their name. I love this. Oh, yeah. They put a statue of Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th at the bottom of a lake in Minnesota called Crystal Lake. That's hysterical. Which is awesome to me. And it's like a life-size statue. Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th. It's exactly why, as a kid, I genuinely, what genuinely was afraid to swim in any body of water where I couldn't see very far down. He thought I, he was going to get you there. I was convinced that Jason Voorhees specifically was going to grab my leg and pull me under because that was an image from the movie. I saw it at the right time when I was a kid or the wrong time, and it really stuck with me. Hysterical. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> I'm worried about giant catfish. First of all, I hate catfish. I do not like, I don't enjoy the taste of catfish. Uh Secondly, I think they're one of the creepiest looking little fishies out there. Mm -hmm. And now that, like, how big is it in comparison to like a sturgeon? Though that's, that's bigger than a sturgeon. Right? Okay, that's what I thought. Maybe not as long, but like girthier, to use your word. Word of the day. Mm -hmm. Dang, that thing was creepy. I have a memory of catching a little catfish when I was a kid. This is mean, but it was funny. And I had a golden retriever named Sam who always wanted to get into everything. And so I, we let him get after the catfish because they have little stingers on their face. Oh. Sam learned his lesson to not, I guess, trust me that day. Don't, tr- don't trust me when I give him a fish because sometimes fish are stingy. Somebody should call Pete on you. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations on that particular incident is long long gone. Do you know that song, Way Down Yonder, from Alan Way Jackson? Down Yonder on a Chattahoochee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when you said that, it was immediately, that's, I was like singing <laughs> that song for a solid three minutes uh-huh. in my head. Uh-huh. Um, also, like, can we talk about moving cemeteries? Mm, yeah. Is that a thing? It, yeah, it is. It is with like imminent domain when like a road has to be punched through somewhere. It's happened before. It's happened in numerous like reservoirs where they, you know, they're not going to like not provide a lot of power and drinking water to a huge area uh, just to like not disturb some old graves. Let me tell it you absolutely something. happens. Let me tell you something. If I'm dead mm-hmm. and I'm buried mm-hmm. and they disrupt me, mm-hmm. I'm going to be pissed. Okay. And I'm coming for Noted. you. I'm coming for you. What if they give me a really good deal? What if they give me a lot of money? How much money? Million. Mm, it's not grave. enough. It's not enough. It's not for me. I'm worth, I'm worth more than that, Dan. Okay. Fight for more. 
Okay, I'll fight for more. Dang. Yeah, I... That that really like threw me for some reason. Like, why can't you find some other way around it? Leave let let dead dogs lie. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, let sleeping dogs lie or something. I think is what you were aiming yeah. for. Let let dead let dead dogs let dead dogs not be drowned. Let dead dogs. Die. You know that other popular cliche. That other one. Do you think Lake Coeur d'Alene is haunted? That is my big note, and I wonder mm, a I if it so. is. No, I've never I, heard that. I feel like we need to find out. Okay, I don't think it is, though. If it is, can I'll we you, I'll throw you in. rent a boat and stay out on the lake overnight and see what we see? <laughs> sure. It'll be terrible. It'll be so terrible. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, un- unfortunately, I mean, even just this year, a couple people died in that lake. Yeah, I mean, and, and there is something to that. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, 700, roughly 700 have died in Lake Lanier. It has been around for quite a few years. And I will say, especially growing up next to the Salmon River in central Idaho, yeah. I know a river's different than a lake, but, you know, boating accidents... Fairly common. Sure. Uh, a lot of, you know, big, big popular body of water. You are going to have, uh, odds are a few people die every year. Yeah. Sadly. Unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I really, truly. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm to ready. To be spooped? Spoop me up. Yes. And I uh, was working on these late last night. So I was so freaked out. Um, and now I'm realizing that I did not do a pronunciation check. It's okay. On one word. So actually two. So just bear with me. It's pronounced Bob. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this story, oh me, oh my, it is, to me, this is a, one of those stories that I don't think it's going to jump out and make you squirmy. I think it's going to resonate and just sink in your psyche. I was thinking about it all night last night. Okay. And I think it's basically going to, A, ruin hikes for you for a period of time, and B, anytime you see someone in a yellow rain slicker, you're going to be freaked out. Okay. And remember, our daughter just got a new yellow raincoat. I'll have to put her down. Probably. Hello, Lindsay, Dan, and team. Your work is amazing and has been helping me stave off existential dread for these past few pandemic life months. Keep up the good work. I look forward to seeing where you guys go. I don't Thank have, you. I know. That's so nice. I don't have many spooky stories. I am directly in because I'm firmly of the mind of do not mess with the weird. Most of my family are doctors and engineers and typically very hard logic career-oriented people. Mm-hmm. But we all keep an open mind because of our collective experiences. My beloved grandma would say, some of us are more sensitive. She discouraged chasing after the other things because it it could give them power over you. Hmm. I don't know if there's already an opposite of a Darren, but I'd nominate (laughs) grandma for that title. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we have Darrens and grandmas. It's perfect. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to submit one of my experiences that I thought might... uh, creep you out plus also be a weird story akin to the dan portion of the episode from a part of the world not often discussed i know stories from asia are rare Mm -hmm. often due to language barriers and since creepy story forums tend to be in native languages Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and there's a necessary disclaimer that the author puts in this story and they say i know firsthand that the political state of taiwanese independence from china is a touchy subject for a lot of people I know official media sources are supposed to call it Chinese Taipei. Is that right? Taipei. Taipei. Mm -hmm. There we go. However, most of my friends call themselves Taiwanese, refer to the country as Taiwan when communicating with me in English, and Taiwan is a lot faster to write than the latter. So I will be using Taiwan from here on out. No political meaning, just laziness with my typing. 
My next disclaimer is that all names are changed and some identifying details removed since my career field has lots of people who frown upon superstition and paranormal things. Got it. I was a bit of a, I was at a bit of a low when my best friend Annie suggested I accompany her to Taiwan for a vacation. I met her in college where we hit it off amazingly. I suffered from crippling social anxiety, but she was a true friend and helped me overcome my depression and cope with my anxiety. At this point in my life, I was having trouble establishing myself in my field, which was mostly due to my anxiety, which of course furthered it in this vicious cycle. Annie thought breaking out of the daily grind would help, and I totally agreed. In Taiwan, we met up with Annie's cousin Jane, who was born and raised there. I had met Jane before, when she lived in the States for school. The three of us were close, with a lot in common. During our trip, we often met up and hung out with Jane's friends. Maybe meeting people almost daily was not the best for my social anxiety, but also pushing myself made me feel proactive. Annie and Jane were very understanding and would give me space if and when I needed it. It was not unusual for me to step back and take a bit of solitary time to refocus. Being in a foreign country helped since I didn't have a good grasp on Taiwanese Mandarin, so I got to play the dumb American, which helped me be ignored if and when I needed it. One day, our vi- uh, one day on our visit, we accompanied Jane and her friends outside of the city to a hiking trail to assist them with a casual photo shoot. They had done this before when they needed woods as an environment. The area was a popular hiking area, and they assured us it was safe and an easy stroll. I grew up in a very flat area, think agricultural, so mm-hmm. I absolutely love the woods and trees. This trail did not disappoint. Verdant trees and a slightly overcast sky made me feel calm and peaceful. Our group of about nine made our way to a scenic spot and started posing and snapping pictures. After some time, I felt awkward because one, in the States, trail rangers and caretakers can be wary about impromptu shoots, and I didn't know if Taiwan was similar, and two, most of the group obviously had worked together before, and they were coordinating well. I felt like an interloper and in the way of the shoot. Anxiety alert. (laughs) I told Annie I was going to walk away up the trail to get some alone time, but I wouldn't be far. I went up the trail a bit where it curved out of sight of the group. I could still hear them, but they were more distant. The trees and plant life seemed to muffle them. I stood there, soaking in the ambient sounds of the forest. I had no intention of going further up the trail since I wanted to be within calling distance in case my help was needed. Then I noticed a figure coming down the road, uh, coming down the other end of the trail ahead of me. It was a person in a yellow rain poncho. The yellow stood out brightly against the natural backdrop. The figure drew closer and closer to me and then stopped well ahead of me when it seemed to spot me. They were definitely looking at me. I couldn't make out a face since the yellow poncho had a hood, plus they were wearing one of those silly-looking plastic visor hats a lot of older Asian people tend to wear when outdoors, including Mm -hmm. my own grandma. I stared back awkwardly. It was some old granny who was probably overprepared in case of a sudden rain due to the cloudy weather. Heck, my own grandma prepares for a walk by covering up enough to be ready for a deep sea dive. At least that's what I thought. As the person in the yellow poncho continued to stare at me, which I could tell even though I could not make out a face, my next thought was, you're both having a standoff of politeness to let the other person pass first. Since I had not intended to go further up the trail, I stepped to the side of the trail. I hoped my body language made it apparent that they could pass me. Then, still totally silent, the person raised an arm and gestured for me to come closer. (laughs) They turned slightly and continued to gesture, obviously wanting me to follow them. 
My inner voice and anxiety went, oh great, an old Taiwanese granny needs help. She probably doesn't know English. Let's hope she doesn't think you're rude when you run back to get your translator. I did my best to pantomime what I hoped was a universal wait here gesture and ran back down the trail to my friends. When I got back, I quickly explained that there was someone on the trail, probably an older person, who looked like they were in need of help. Knowing there could be a language barrier keeping me from being useful in case of an actual emergency, Jane and a friend of hers accompanied me back up the trail. We had not been gone more than five minutes. When we got back to that part of the trail, there was no sign of the figure in the yellow poncho. We went a bit up further just to make sure to see if the person had doubled back and to where the trail had straightened out. There was no way anyone could have just disappeared from sight unless they cut straight into the woods. Jane and her friends asked me what the person looked like. I told them I didn't get a great look, but they were wearing a yellow poncho and a visor, so I figured it was an old lady out for a walk. The expressions on both of their faces were surprise and fear. They told me we should leave the woods immediately. Luckily, the shoot was done by then, and we were mostly packed up. Jane said some things to the other party members as we were leaving, and a lot of them also became suddenly nervous. As we left the woods, Jane told me and Annie that she was taking us out for the rest of the day. We were surprised since we had planned on going back to our, ho our hotel to rest for a while. We tried to refuse her hospitality, but she was adamant that we should go somewhere else, probably somewhere very busy and very public. We were also going to meet, meet up with the people in the other car too, since there were the more people, the better. By now, I had more than an inkling that something weird had happened. We had something familiar in my own culture too. My parents and grandma would never go straight home after visiting a cemetery because of the belief that wandering spirits could attach themselves to you and follow you home to stay. I asked Jane directly if this was the case and if it had anything to do with that figure on the hike. She confirmed this, but she wouldn't tell me details until we were back in the city and seated all together in a bustling cafe. Jane and her friends told me what I had seen was probably a Mosinai, a term best translated as a mountain goblin. According mm -hmm. to folklore in urban legends, the Mosinai tend to appear in mountains and wooded areas. They lure hikers or visitors deep into the woods to become lost and die of dehydration, starvation, or the elements. Wow. Or perhaps they lure people away from other unknown purposes. Sometimes, though, they are more actively malicious. There is the story of a man who was leading a hiking group. He spotted a hiker in a yellow coat a bit ahead of his group. They looked like they knew that he they looked like they knew the trail, so he followed them. He never got a good look at their face, but they walked assertively and quickly. He followed them, striding ahead of his group and not taking his eyes off of the yellow coat. Suddenly, the man heard the group behind him yelling at him to stop. He stopped and realized he'd nearly walked off a cliff. The figure ahead of him in the yellow coat had simply vanished into what would have been an empty air above a sheer drop. I couldn't help but laugh at how my anxiety and wariness may have kept me safe from something unexplainable. This is not the first time I had encountered something I could not quite explain and said, is, said so much to our group. Some of them said their grandmothers would probably say I have some sort of aptitude for seeing spirits. Annie didn't really buy into it, but she was still uneasy. And one person thought I would be a great person to take along ghost hunting and tried to convince me to visit some abandoned hospitals, but I firmly mm. declined. For the rest of the day, we ended up going shopping, locally sightseeing, and didn't return to our hotel until after dinner. 
The only strange thing that happened the rest of the trip was me explaining the lore of cow tipping to a bunch of Taiwanese city slickers. They were fascinated with the <laughs> concept, while, while the American country bumpkin found it amusing at most. And it's not true that you can do this. Cows are really heavy. Keep on tearing, terrifying us. All the best, Hannah. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, what was Mosin? Mosina? M-O-S-I-N-A. But like, I mean, you could say like Mosina, Mos- but you know, with the... Accent? Yeah, the Taiwanese accents. It's yeah. on the A, on both the O and the A. It reminds me of the... Mosina? It reminds me of like a mountainous version of a siren, which uh, comes from like, I can't remember which culture, like Northwest European, back when people were uh, just first start setting off in sailing boats, I think, or might have been Greek actually. Anyway, uh, which the siren would lure you to your to your death, like by luring you to the rocks. Oh. Like, like sailors would go after the sirens and then they yeah. would crash, you know, and sink their boats. And this is like the mountain version of that. But I can totally picture it in my head mm-hmm. how, how uh, that's, that's an interesting thing to think about, like some entity... That makes you think it's like a hiker or somebody maybe in distress. Yeah. And then you run over to follow or to help them and then like, yeah, fall off a cliff or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, stumble off the trail. Interesting. Or just like like you said initially, get lost and just starve and dehydrate out in the woods. Can you imagine? And of course, like if I saw It's like a mirage, like a fucked up mirage. Mm-hmm. If I thought I saw an older person hiking mm-hmm. who needed help, I would it would of course I would go to them immediately. I wouldn't even think twice. I would I'd leave them. I'd be like, you know, you, you made your choice. You came out here in the woods. Not my fault. You're old and helpless. You know, oh, that's you nice. Get it? You know yeah. what I mean? I know what you mean. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I would. Uh, yeah, I think almost anyone would want to at least check in with them. Mm-hmm. Make sure they're okay. Yeah. And I, I mean, so I a good would, lesson. Don't do that anymore. Don't help people if you, you see, don't know. If you see like a, a confused looking, you know, older person out in the forest. Well, yellow rain slicker yourself. and save advisor. Yourself. It could be me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get killed in the woods every year too by uh, older people with guns who uh, I, I can't I can't even keep up with that. You're lineup. the worst. Shut up. I was trying, <laughs> trying to make up something better than that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. That story just kind of like we hike so frequently, mm-hmm. and I think you know a lot of people, especially like we live in the Northwest, and you know especially yeah. and then also during COVID times, like we're all trying to find ways to be outside a little bit more in yep. safe environments, yep. and I just. I just don't care for that. Yeah, that story is very, very easy to visualize. Yeah, good job, mm-hmm. Hannah. I can like absolutely picture, yeah, just, yeah. Somebody yeah. up the trail. Yeah. Somebody just motion you for go, but you get a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. Why are they there? Especially if you're in like a, an, an area that uh, maybe there's not a lot of hikers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 All the things. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, very different. And also this next tale is also a bit different. Uh, this scare, this story scared me in a way that is actually hard for me to really verbalize. It, um, I don't know. You could maybe see it as like a little bit of a warning about listening to somebody when they say that they are seeing something or experiencing something. And okay. it, it, it does get quite a bit sad in this story. Okay. But also, I mean, I really, this story freaked me out. So it's a real double gut punch. Okay. Okay. Hello, concierges of the creepy. <laughs> I know, it's a good one, right? It's <laughs> a good one. I discovered Scared to Death earlier this year and have been binging episodes ever since. I just love it. Thank you. Thank you. I am a creeper for sure, as I love everything horror-related, or I did, until just a few days ago. Wow. I have never had any personal paranormal experiences, but I love the idea of something unexplainable being a part of my world. However, I now have to share this story with you because it literally just happened, and I don't have anyone else to share it with that I think would really appreciate it. Here goes. 
In 1981, my parents separated and divorced. My father left, leaving my mother, my 11-year-old sister, Brenda, and I alone. I was the youngest at nine years old. My mother was left to care for and support us all on her own, and she did the best she could, but she was soon working three jobs and we would rarely see her. She could not afford to keep us in the house we were living in, so we moved out of it and into an older, smaller rental house on the low economy side of town. The house was two bedrooms with a fenced yard. Because of my mother's work schedule, she chose to give the larger, quote-unquote, master bedroom to my sister so that she could have some privacy. She's a girl, and she needs her own room, my mother had said. My mother set up her bedroom in the living room so that she could get up early and come home late from work without disturbing us. My sister and I were always very close, but that summer we were practically inseparable. The neighborhood we moved into was straight up rough, with plenty of shady people always around, so we pretty much just kept to ourselves. Brenda's bedroom was pretty cool. It seemed to us like it was the largest room in the house. It was the most decorated as it had this red floral wallpaper all over the walls, a large double window that overlooked our backyard, and its own bathroom with an antique clawfoot porcelain bathtub. During the hottest parts of the day, when it was too hot to play outside, we would play in her room. Despite how it sounds, we were far from happy, though. The drama of my parents' divorce was dragging on, and our father had become violent and abusive to our mother whenever he would decide to drop in. Brenda took the divorce and the drastic change in our lives quite hard. I had never heard of night terrors before, but I will never forget the first time I saw my sister in the grip of one. It was the middle of the night, and I was awakened by a blood-curdling scream that seemed to shake the entire house. I ran into the hallway to find my sister running back and forth, screaming and crying incoherently. She was running by us like we weren't even there. I had never seen anyone act like this and was especially bothered to see my normally, even-keeled big sister acting this way. My mother was finally able to grab her and hold her down, but my sister's terrified fit went on for what seemed like forever. Seeing that I was disturbed, my mother explained to me that Brenda was still fast asleep and just having a nightmare. It made sense to me, as I had never seen her act any way like this before, and she was still not really acknowledging us. I will never forget the distant, disconnected look in Brenda's eyes as my mother tried to calm her. Brenda kept screaming, she's in my room, she's in my room, she's by the bed, I saw her eyes, she's in my room, I saw her eyes. Over and over and over. Even after she calmed down and became lucid, she was adamant that she had seen a woman in her room. We searched her room and found nothing. That night, we both slept in the living room with my mother. The next morning, Brenda did not seem to remember the incident, so I didn't push the issue, preferring to let the scary night stay in the past. But it didn't stay there for long. Soon, the night terror incidents became a frequent occurrence, sometimes happening three or four times a week, with the same crying pleas that there was a woman in her room or by her bed. Brenda's mental health began to deteriorate as she became more and more detached, more and more nervous. After a while, she began to nervously pull out her long black hair, one strand at a time. She would absentmindedly play with that strand for a while and then discard it and pull out another one. It wasn't long before she had large bare patches visible on her head and she was forced to wear bandanas on her head to keep it covered so that people would not embarrass her or pick on her. I never wanted to ask because I was young and I didn't really know how to deal with the situation. But Brenda would sometimes just start talking about the woman who she said lived in her bathroom. She described her as being tall and thin, very pale, with dark hair and black eyes. Brenda said she would appear at night and would tell her scary things. 
She would not tell me what the woman would say. Whenever I would ask, I would, when I would, whenever I would ask, she would just bite down on her lower hip, lip and shake her head, no, as if she didn't think I could handle the details. My mother continued to tell me that Brenda was sick and was seeing things that weren't really there. Eventually, Brenda's anxiety became too much and my mother had to take her to see a therapist. She met with Brenda once a week and it really seemed to help my sister. My sister enjoyed her therapy days and started showing signs of improvement. Her therapist had given her a pretty journal that she was supposed to write in every day and then they would talk about it at her next visit. Brenda loved that and I remember her carrying that journal around all the time and writing in it often. Of course, she would never let me read her journal because it had all of her private stuff in it. I was just happy to see my sister seemingly getting better. As I mentioned before, I have never had any paranormal experience myself. I never saw, heard, or witnessed anything out of the ordinary in the house. Except for the one time I went into Brenda's room to get a toy and discovered smears of grease on the edge of the bathroom doorway. Three lines of smeared grease, like someone had run their fingers along the doorframe as they walked into the bathroom. I was familiar with grease because my father was a mechanic, and mm -hmm. I remember thinking it was odd that grease would be upstairs in the bathroom. But I figured Brenda must have gotten it on her hands, I don't know, maybe from under the sink or something? I wiped it up and went on about my way without giving it a second thought. We lived in that house for a couple of years before finally moving out. Even after we moved out of that house, Brenda said that she would still see the woman in her room at night. As she got older, she became more insistent that it was real. But as word got out about her quote-unquote stories, she began to be mocked for being crazy, and eventually she just stopped talking about it. Brenda and I were never quite as close after that summer. She became distant, angry, and untrusting. She went through a string of therapists and treatments, but she was no longer interested in getting better anymore. She just didn't want to talk about it. When she got into her teens and began hanging out with the troubled kids, it wasn't long before she was into drugs and alcohol. She had some run-ins with the law, and she would frequently run away from home and be gone for days at a time. When Brenda was 19, she disappeared for a couple weeks. Two police officers showed up at her house one afternoon and reported that they had found Brenda's body. She had overdosed on sleeping pills and passed away quietly. Everybody kept saying she was finally at peace and in a better place. I was simply heartbroken. I had lost my big sister. Last month, I found myself at my mother's bedside, comforting her as her health was failing. In her final moments, I told her to go find Brenda, tell her that we still love her, and that I would eventually come to join them when my time on earth was done. She smiled at the thought and passed away peacefully. After mourning my mother's passing for a couple of weeks, I started with the task of cleaning out her home. In doing so, I found an old decorative keepsake box in some of her belongings. Inside that box were several items and pictures that belonged to Brenda, including her journal. I was uh -huh. dumbfounded as I had forgotten about it, but recognized it immediately. I dropped to my knees right there on the floor and opened it, eager to have this unique opportunity to reconnect with my lost big sister. The journal was charmingly filled with hand-drawn doodles of fairies and flowers, even a sketch of our old dog, Muffy. There were poems and touching stories of daily things that we did together when we were children, as well as sad entries about being scared and confused in dealing with our parents' divorce. I was teary-eyed as all these mm -hmm. memories came rushing back. And then I came upon some entries that took on a darker tone. Brenda's normally loopy, cursive, girly writing style became boxy and harsh as she described the mysterious woman in the bathroom. The first time I saw her, she was pretty and smiling. She just appeared in the bathroom standing right inside the doorway. She asked about my toys and if she could play with me. 
She said we could have a tea party and asked me if I wanted to have that tea party with her. I said, okay. And then the woman started to change. She was still smiling, but not happy anymore. And her eyes turned pitch black. She started to walk straight toward me really fast. Her arms reached out to grab me. And just before she got to me, she turned to smoke and disappeared. I continued to read through her entries, reminding myself of the mental issues my sister would come to deal with in the years following these entries, bracing myself for what could be a documented peek into her unraveling psych- psyche. Brenda woke up. Uh, Brenda wrote of waking up and being paralyzed while the woman knelt next to her bed, leaning in towards her and whispering terrifying things in her ear like, one day I will take you away. Nobody will ever miss you. I'm inside of you forever. Sometimes Brenda would see her staring menacingly at her from the closet, from under the bed, or behind the shower curtain in the bathroom. One entry described an incident where Brenda discovered the woman pacing back and forth in the bathroom, talking to herself angrily about, quote, all these ugly people living in my house. And then she screamed at Brenda before disappearing. The most chilling story recounted a time that Brenda awoke in the middle of the night to find the woman kneeling on her bedside, kneeling on her bed beside her. She was watching me sleep, my sister wrote, and her eyes were red this time. They were so scary. When she saw I was awake, she leaned in close to me and said, I will eat your babies. What? While reading this was truly unnerving, I again kept trying to remind myself that my sister had suffered from some sort of psychological condition. It's sad, but it wasn't real, I told myself. And I continued to reassure myself that this was the truth until I came upon an entry that contained this description. The woman moves around like she is walking, but she is not really touching the floor. She hardly ever touches anything. Whenever she does touch something, she leaves a black goo that is impossible to wipe up. She only really touches when she is really mad, so I try not to make her mad so I don't have to clean up the goo. I immediately connected the dots with the smears of grease that I had found on the bathroom doorway when I was a child and became horribly nauseated. I've spent the last week being manic with horrifying realizations that I had come into contact with a physical proof that Brenda was telling the truth. Now, as an adult, I know there are no other explanations for that grease on the doorframe. Did we make her crazy for not believing her? Was there anything else that we missed? Had I failed to help my sister when she needed me the most? Rationalizing that I was just a child just doesn't seem to have the comforting effect that it did before, especially given the pain and trauma that spiraled my sister into her eventual tragic end. I could not finish reading the journal because I feel hollow. Maybe someday I'll be able to finish it. I used to enjoy the idea of the paranormal because I liked the idea of something unexplainable being a part of my world. Now, I would prefer that I still had my sister in my world. Interested to hear your take on these events. Thank you for putting these stories out there. Sometimes people need to know that the loved ones around them need real help, even if it sounds or seems impossible. Whoa. Isn't that so... uh, I mean, I, like, was so spooked. I I was so upset about the death of his sister. And, I mean, uh, he lost his mom, it sounds like, in a more natural way. But, uh, I mean... God, that is an intense story. Yeah, and I don't... I feel so bad for the author because it's like, how could you know? How could you know? Because sometimes people do have psychological breaks. Yeah, that that detail of the grease on the door jam. Uh Finding the journal all these years later. uh, Yeah, with that journal entry. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, I I just keep getting the chills. That's a really intense story. So 
intense. And it makes so much sense to me personally because I journal. I mean, and maybe not as consistently as I did in my youth, but for sure, if I felt like I was seeing things, I mean, I'm That's so. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and I'm so pro mental health care. So it's like, you know, I totally <sighs> believe in therapy. I would do the same thing if it was my child, if it was me, if it was you. And then, of course, like, that's such a normal technique for a therapist to tell you to journal and that's where you're going to share it. And then you're going to tell the therapist and the therapist is probably going to medicate you because they think you're seeing things. And then, you know, it, it takes a really dark turn and you're no longer with us. And then I find the journal later. It's like all those connective pieces are so fucking yeah. intense. The de the detail of the handwriting changing when Brenda wrote about the creature really bothers me. Yeah. Almost like she was possessed. Yeah, that was a... <laughs> that story is gonna linger, mm -hmm. man. And then if you just think about that story, and you're on a hike, and you see a lady in a yellow jacket, like you're super screwed. Oh my god! Yeah. Now I'm now I have a little. Usually I don't have this happen to me uh, when we record these, but now I have a little swirling of all of the scary things we talked about. That I, I was feeling pretty light when the episode began. I was kind of in like a more jokey mood. Yeah. And and now I'm just picturing that entity, the lady in the room, whatever, combined with uh, the possibility of like that creature out in the forest combined with something in the water. I, I got a lot of bad stuff floating around my brain right now. I can give you some crystals. Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah, it was pretty intense. Whew, yeah, so, yeah, so sorry that happened to the author, man. Yes, yes. Woo. Uh, we've, we've emailed a tiny bit about it. Okay. Um, are you ready for some lightness? I am. Spoopy shout out time. Spoopy shout out time. Spoopy shout outs. So we have a, just a condensed version this week. Happy birthday to Derek from Sam. Happy birthday to Matthew from Jessica. To Kyle from Katie. And happy birthday to Angela from Samantha. Wanted, I personally wanted to send a little bit of love to a fan of ours in the UK, Claire. She lost her mom this year uh -huh. and recently um, shaved her head in mm. honor of her mom's cancer to raise some money. Uh -huh. And um, she was so sweet. Claire, I hope you're listening to this one. It's been so great to connect with you and I've really appreciated you sharing that journey with me. Yeah, sorry for your loss, Claire. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of love. From Mike uh, to Michael from Elizabetta, also like such a great name, mm -hmm. and happy engagement. And I really hope all the proposals went well because I didn't get confirmation. <laughs> so happy engagement to Sadie and Colin from Christian, and happy engagement to Megan and Brandon from Allie. Oh, what if somebody said no? That'd be the worst. <laughs> Here, look at this is immortalized forever for you. Do, do, I, I always think about that if that happens to you. Uh, Less bad as a horrible divorce later. This so just is true. Think, just think of it in that sense. Yeah. It's like if it ends that point, in a sense, you do get off easy. Yes. And it's better than being left at the altar. Yes. So many also other things. Also true. This is just a podcast. People will forget about it later. <laughs> uh, thank you all for, for listening. Uh, thank you all for sending in your stories. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Uh, they do help us find new listeners, which we keep finding. The, this show has been growing like crazy lately. It's crazy. And, and we're very, very grateful. So thank you so much. I was telling Dan before this episode, you know, Heather Rylander has to um, read all the stories. Because, I mean, I put them together, you know, for the episode. And that's like enough to really. Yeah, yeah. I'm a true peeper. Mm -hmm. But um the number of emails coming in every day is so awesome. It's so crazy. So thank you guys so much because that that ha that is a reflection of how the audience is growing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and yeah, so keep sending those stories into my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Email for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Nailed it. Thanks to the Keith, Logan, and Kate on social media. Happy birthday, Kate. 
Oh, yeah. Happy birthday. And badmagicmerch.com uh, for the merch design. Producer Sophie Evans for help with story curation. Joe Paisley, Zach Flannery for producing, directing. And uh, Zach Cohen, custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Subscribe, please, to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. We got like 50,000 uh, subscribers now, which is fantastic. That's so cool. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want even more content at Scared to Death Podcasts. And uh, check out the private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers. Uh, well over, um, I think, like uh, 8,000. I, I didn't write it down in my notes mm, this it, week. It's, it's well Eight, over 9,000. 9,000. Oh, over 9,000. Thank you. Over 9,000. Uh, thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye, y'all. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within, scared to death. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 